What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. All right, what's up and welcome back everyone to another episode of the Long Game Podcast. Today, I am joined by one of my good friends, Cody Garrett. Um, I don't know if you guys know Cody, I'd be kind of surprised if you didn't at this point, but he's just another top financial planner. He's all over social media, just like I am. Um, but you've made a big pivot, I would say, over the last couple of years, I think moving you know, you've always been a financial planner for DIYers, you know, not typically not somebody that's been managing investments, but seems like you've made a really big shift here to be focused on helping advisors a lot. And also, you know, I think you're still, you have a course coming out next year, right? For DIYers too. Yeah, that's right. So I had a big pivot from, I was actually a professional musician for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, then I became financial planner as an employee. Um, and it was funny. I didn't realize that as a musician, I was actually an entrepreneur, but like you know, as a musician, I was just doing like tons of different gigs, all the different places. I didn't think of that as like being a business owner and entrepreneur. But once I became an employee at a firm, at a financial planning firm, uh, investment management firm, uh, like I felt it. I was like, oh, wow, like this is what it's like to be like within the kind of the, the, the boundaries of uh, being an employee, which isn't a bad thing, but it's just different, you know, different for different people. So a few years into that, just, to, you know, I got my CFP designation, certified financial planning, professional designation. And then I really gained an interest to serve really the underserved community. Usually when you think of underserved, you think of people with like not a lot of money, where in reality, the niche I serve is people who have money, but don't want their money managed by an advisor. So I serve DIY investors on the path to early retirement within five years. I launched that firm back in, I guess it was 2021. Um, and now um, really pivoting into teaching other financial advisors and financial planners how I do that. Because my comprehensive financial planning covers typically 25 to 30 topic areas. Whereas, you know, a lot of traditional advisors, quote unquote, like they might look at just investments and insurance and that's it. Like they don't look at your tax returns. They don't look at your pay statements, your employee benefits, right? All the things that you look at, Thomas, like we are in kind of like the 1% of advisors who actually care to look at those things because we're, you know, we we don't let uh, the product lead the plan. Uh, yeah. You know, we plan planning, I always say to give adv advice in somebody's best interest, you first have to understand their interest. So now that I do that in my firm, a lot of other financial advisors, you know, at this point, about 1400 other financial advisors are asking, Hey, Cody, how do you do it? Like, can you tell me how you do it? And rather than just telling them, I show them. So I create a video course and a, and an educational community for advisors. And, and now I'm pivoting now to becoming even more passionate about the consumer again is saying, how can I educate the DIY investor, right? Who can't work with me one-on-one? -on -one? How can I really uh, empower them to, to even start their own financial planning journey without an advisor? Yeah. The same reason that we did the course too, is I just view it as like, I would love to help everybody, but one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one financial planning is in all reality to get a good financial planner is a high cost thing, right? Like you, we can only work with so many people and right. you know, we're naturally, you know, our time is valuable that we're going to focus on the people with a lot of complex needs, but I'm with you. I, it's funny to think of like 
a lot of the clients I serve might be making millions of dollars a year, but they're still underserved because most advisors can only sell products or manage their investments. And for a lot of them, a lot of it's in the business or right. externally, they like to manage it themselves. They want the advice, but they don't necessarily want to pay through an asset under management fee. But I, I think maybe I'm a little different where I have both models. Like if you want us to manage your investments, we will, but I would say over half our clients don't. And I could care less at the end of the day, we're pay paid fairly for our time. Um, it is really an interesting job to do the investment like location and allocations for these people because it's actually a hard job like i don't mm -hmm. pretend like i have people come in with millions of dollars in a taxable account they have 401ks roth iras etc and to do the whole rebalancing sheets like that's mm -hmm. been one of the main projects my new hire and i have been working on and it takes hours for us to create that one page just to be accurate right because even if you say like one of the funds is the s p 500 well that's some large cap some mid cap you know it it mm -hmm. spreads out where it's not as easy as like 20 percent here 10 percent right. here like funds you know if, especially if you have any sector funds and like value profitability you know, growth etc they sprinkle so it just becomes like not the easiest <laughs> Corn explore. yeah right. it, it just and then all of a sudden in the next quarter portfolio changes and it, it's a whole big project again yeah. And that's one thing that I've done in my firm is rather than, you know, chasing, again, I uh, will talk a lot today about like, I love tax optimization. I feel like that is the most tangible value. Uh, you know, one of the biggest like kind of tangible values you can see, like you can actually see the dollars and cents that are saved, um, not just in the short term, but in the long term by doing tax planning. With that said, you know, when I'm uh, a lot of optimization comes from those accounts and, you know, charitable giving with those accounts, like, you know, donor advised funds, giving appreciated securities, right. And, at the same time, you want to do all this like tax op optimization, but how, you're like, how can I make it super effective, but also efficient? So I've, I've really come down to like, you know, again, simplify the things out of your control, which means really like taking like, you know, creating really basic templates, you know, translating that complex information into like a, a simplified narrative that both I can understand and the person I'm serving can understand. But then, yeah, you can just make your own systems. Like I create my own rebalancing Excel calculators per every, each client has their own rebalancing calculator where I can type in exactly how much they have in each fund. And it tells you exactly how much to buy and sell, including tax loss harvesting and avoiding the wash sale rule. So yeah, I think that if you focus on creating effective planning, you can always find a way to simplify the tool or template that you're using. Yeah. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Okay. Well, let's hop into today's topic. I'm excited. So um, I've been getting some feedback from some people who are like, we're getting to really complex things. And I love getting into really complex things in my podcast just because Part of it's I'm learning too from really great um, guests with me. But one thing that I think is on a lot of people's minds is the whole Roth versus traditional decision, right? And mm -hmm. um, it's something that we haven't talked about on the podcast and that you talk about all the time. So I really want to dive into this whole conversation around, do you go Roth? Do you go traditional? And I'm very curious to hear, obviously, your viewpoints. And so maybe we just start with like the difference between the two, how they work, and we'll go through some of the pros and the cons. And then maybe it starts to, it's beneficial to think through different groups of people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, yeah, like putting a real case study to the situation, like really clar clarifies whether or not it makes sense for you know, a certain individual. Because um, I actually have a trademark, Keep Finance Personal, that at the end of the day, our advice is only as good as how well we understand somebody. So to start off, um, think about when people talk about traditional versus Roth, what they're really talking about is the tax characteristic of the contribution and the distribution. So the contribution is the money, you're putting money into this account. And to simplify today, I know there's 
you know, different types of accounts that you can, that can be traditional Roth. There's 401ks, 403bs, right? 457s, IRAs, right? Um, for, for simplification, we'll, we'll just talk um, 401ks, at least to start. We can always go a different direction, but traditional contributions, those are called, you also call them pre-tax contributions. That's when you, you make a contribution to an account and the, the amount of money that you put into that account is either excluded or deducted from taxable income. So a 401k example, you contribute through work, right? Um, you know, you typically as an employee, you know, you contribute, sometimes your employer contributes to with an employer match or some type of non-elective contribution, right? Where they, where they might even contribute even if you don't, right? So there's, we can get into the weeds of those things too, but if you contribute traditional, that money actually comes out of your, um, sorry, that contribution comes out before that money's taxed. So an easy way to think about this is when you get your W-2 the next year to file your taxes, your box one of taxable earnings, taxable wages does not include how much you contributed to that 401k. So it's actually been deducted, excluded from income before it even shows up on your tax form. So you don't, you know, don't double dip and try to take that deduction again. It already happened before you receive your W-2, right? You know, the, the pro of traditional contributions really is that it reduces taxable income in the current year, right? And, um, but the, uh, you know, every advantage has a disadvantage, right? You, you can't, no, no free lunches here. So, you know, you, you get the advantage of reducing your taxable income this year on your contribution, but then the disadvantage is that when you take money out of that account, typically in retirement, um, you know, de- depending on the account, pretty much every dollar that you take out of that account is going to be taxable as ordinary income, you know, in that future year. So it's, it, so it's really save taxes this year, pay taxes later. On the flip side, we I know there's about five advantages, disadvantages of each of these might get into. Uh, the Roth is the opposite, um, uh, which means that you know you pay taxes today, you don't pay taxes later. Um, when you contribute to a Roth 401k, for example, you're contributing with you're contributing with money that's already been taxed. One thing that's really important here to think about is let's say that you contribute twenty thousand dollars to a traditional uh, 401k, or you or you contribute twenty thousand dollars to a Roth 401k. It actually requires different different amounts of money to contribute that amount. <laughs> when you contribute $20,000 to a traditional 401k, you need $20,000 to do that. When you contribute $20,000 to a Roth 401k, you actually have to have the 20,000 to put into the account plus the taxes, right, that it that it required to, you know, that you had to pay on that contribution amount. So keep in mind that even if you contribute the same amount, quote unquote, to Roth and traditional, uh, it actually requires different levels of income uh, in that year. So yeah. Roth is the opposite, whereas you make after-tax contributions, and hopefully, you know, if you follow the rules uh, in in retirement, um, hopefully every dollar that comes out of that account will be uh, received tax-free, effectively not being, um, you know, considered taxable income uh, when yeah. you file your taxes. Yeah, perfect. So just summary for everybody. So traditional side, let's say you make $100,000. That means you're at the 22% marginal tax bracket. You put $20,000 in your 401k that reduces your income from 180. So really what ends up happening is you save, you know, $20,000 times your marginal tax rate of 22%. So you save $4,400 on taxes, but that's not the end of the story. When you withdraw this money in retirement, you are going to pay tax on that. With your Roth 401k, if you make 100 and you put 20,000 into your Roth, you are still taxed on that $100,000. That money goes in, it gets invested for the future, and that never gets taxed again. And I and I feel like this is the po- the part where people are like, oh, but of course you want to do Roth because you'd much rather pay taxes 
on the 4,400 than pay taxes in the future when it grows. But all things equal, if you're taxed at 22% at the front or 22% at the backside, you know, you end up at the exact same dollar amount. And that's really hard for people to comprehend. Mm -hmm. It's because you're investing with less versus, right. you know, tax later on it. Yeah. One of the biggest misconceptions in the way it's sometimes sold, especially if you hear somebody really focusing on the power of Roth and tax-free, you got to be careful there because they'll, they'll say things like, Hey, would you rather pay taxes on the seeds that you plant? You know, your contributions, or would you rather pay taxes on every apple you pull from the huge apple orchard in retirement? Effectively saying that the seeds are small and the apples are big, where in reality, you might actually, the, the, the taxes you pay on the seeds might actually be much lower than you pay on, you know, on the, on the apples or, you know, vice versa. So um, I always talk to people about, you know, these marginal rates. You talked about, you know, a single filer in the 22% bracket making $100,000 so their taxable income is in you know 22% marginal tax bracket. So every dollar they contribute to traditional, they're saving 22% federal taxes on that. But here's the okay. deal. They're saving they're saving taxes at their current highest marginal tax bracket, the 22% tax bracket. And a lot of people say, "Okay, well, you know, if if you distribute that money in the 22% tax bracket, like it's it's a wash, like it's the same, right?" But in reality, think about now like the characteristic of somebody taking money out of a retirement account. I work with a lot of early retirees. And what I mean by that is, let's say somebody's retiring at, at age 50, right? Which income sources do they have at age 50? A lot of them don't have any yet. Like they effectively are just living off of their portfolio until pension, social security. Uh, maybe they might have some rental income, right? But keep in mind that even if they're, you know, when they take the distribution from their 401k, the distribution might all might actually cover multiple marginal tax rates. Yes, it could hit the 22, but it also might cover some of the 12, the 10. And what we don't really talk about the 0% yeah. tax bracket of the standard deduction. So, yep. and, and also keep in mind, this is a really good example too, that you talked about a single filer, right? Somebody making $100,000. What if they distribute this money when they're married, right? $100,000, uh, you know, $100,000 when you're married actually is in the 12% tax bracket, right? So you can see that... Um, you know, even even your filing status can play a role in terms of like what we call you know tax rate arbitrage. So a really crazy example here. Um, I mean, we can share all these notes on the sideline, and I've written lots of articles about this. Is where think about marginal tax rates when you contribute, but be careful about how you consider marginal when you distribute, because let's assume somebody takes money out of a four hundred one k in retirement, but they have no other sources of retirement income. That means those distributions are taxed at 0%, 10%, 12%, 22%. And a crazy example here is that person who saved, uh, you know, a single filer who saved money at the 22% tax bracket when they contributed. So they hit the 22% tax bracket with an AGI of only uh, adjusted gross income of only around $60,000. But if they were in retirement with no other income sources, they would not hit a 22% effective tax rate, which is like the average of all those tax rates on distribution until they have an income of, this is pretty crazy, $250,000. Yeah. And right. this is, and see, this is what I love. And this is what I think most advisors actually are getting wrong. And so I sit down with clients and I'm showing them, I'm like, you've been in Roth. Not, there's nothing wrong with Roth, but a lot of the clients I'm working with are 35 and 37% tax bracket. And right. I'm like, you plan to retire early. 
when, when we think about Roth versus traditional, we're just trying to optimize tax brackets. We're both trying to save for retirement. That's the bigger goal. But then picking right. between the two accounts is about optimizing tax brackets to pay a lower effective tax bill. And I show them, I say, hey, look, you're, you're right now in the marginal, let's say 35% tax bracket. Your effective tax rate is 22%. You have like a 40% savings rate with kids at home, with private school, mm -hmm. whatever. In retirement, you're not going to be living off of this amount of money. And your effective rate right now is, you know, 10, 15% lower than right. what your marginal rate is. Okay. So in retirement, if you lived off of this amount of money, you're, you would be withdrawing at an effective rate of 10 to 15% lower. Right. Just that with, the same, with the same lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. So just that example is exactly why you'd want to do traditional. But then this is where people start to come in and say like, but tax rates are going to be higher in the future. And mm -hmm. That might be fair, right? You might predict that tax rates are going to be higher in the future. Even if we look to 2026 with tax rates going higher, it still wouldn't put this situation I'm telling you about, it would not put them at a higher effective tax rate than what that marginal part would be. I think people, and again, advisors do this all the time. They say taxes are going to go up higher, but you're sitting here making $600,000 in your 40s. That does not mean you're going to have a higher tax rate in your 50, 50s, 60s, 70s, et cetera, right? Tax rates can be up, but it can still be a lower marginal rate for you. Here's here's the funny part. I mean, I think that we're, we're some of the only two that talk about this in this way and um, that, you know, they get into really like kind of questioning like that traditional thought of like Roth versus traditional. And the th so the, the single filer within the 35% tax bracket, right? The marginal tax bracket while working. Their, their adjusted gross income is around $245,000 to get into that bracket. So let's say that they're, you know, let's say they even spend, you know, 200,000 a year, right, on their lifestyle. But to get to a 35% effective tax rate in retirement with other no other income sources outside of their portfolio, they have to withdraw $2.2 million from the account to actually hedge that bet. So it's like, so what I tell people when they say, well, tax rates might be higher, the issue is that we should not be focused on the tax rates. We should be focused on our sources of taxable income. But just like you said, even if the tax rates doubled, that person would still be better off making traditional contributions, not because of the tax rates, but because of their sources of taxable income in retirement. So I'm with you. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't really base it off of, you know, marginal rates today or tomorrow. Like there are people in the 12% marginal tax bracket who, who would actually be better off making traditional contributions. So it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a, it depends. But with that said, I, I think that if you think of yourself as being in your highest earning years, and here's a really good, here's a, here's a really good uh, kind of hint. The IRS does not let you make Roth direct Roth IRA contributions, right? If you're hot, if your income exceeds certain thresholds. And I know that we talk about the backdoor and the mega backdoor ways of getting around that. But if the IRS says you make too much money to contribute to a Roth IRA, that might also make, I mean, even though there's no income thresholds to contribute to a Roth 401k, the IRS is kind of giving you a hint. <laughs> like if you make too much to contribute to a Roth IRA directly, maybe you shouldn't be contributing to a Roth 401k directly. Maybe only only contributing to a Roth 401k if you've already you know maxed out the traditional and you're doing those mega backdoor contributions. So yeah, if, if you're not if you're what you consider your highest earning years, you're probably better off mathematically, tax wise, and again keeping more of what you earn and, and invest and save. Uh, by making those traditional contributions, yeah. which is kind of the opposite of what most people are saying right now. Totally. And it always, I always, it's always funny to me listening to a lot of the other advisors talk about this situation because one of the excuses, or I guess not excuse reasons is like, <laughs> yeah, but, but tax rates today are known. It's like, 
So we're just going to pay tax today because we know for sure the rate today, like if you're choosing only about certainty and that's what you want to do, then why are you even investing, right? Wouldn't you just put everything in an annuity if all we cared about is certainty and how you can right. plan around certainty? And like, of course they wouldn't do that, right? That that would not be part of the conversation that they have. I just, yeah, I mean, to me, yeah. and, and I, I definitely apply this to everybody, but rule of thumb for me is really like 10 and 12, I typically do Roth. 22 and 24 are kind of like situational based on the person mm -hmm. of like, you know, how much, at what age are you in this bracket? Are you going to make significantly more down the line? Like if you're in the 24% tax bracket, early twenties, maybe it does or mid twenties, whatever, maybe it does make sense to do Roth because you know, you have a ton of pre-tax years coming up in the future. 32, 34, 37 is kind of like, yeah, let's, let's do traditional here. And I have a lot of advisors argue with me about this too, is like nobody does Roth conversions or like nobody retires early. And again, I think that comes down to the clients that mm. you work with. Like if you're right. used to working with like people who have to work a really long time just to have enough to be able to retire is very different than like a lot of the clients we're working with could retire in their thirties or forties and maybe mm -hmm. they choose not to, but with, we'll, we'll talk about RMDs and I'll let you go into that. But right now at 75 for most of my clients, most of my clients are not going to work to 75. That means that they retire at 60, which is still Less not by choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if they retire at 60, because, and right. that's still not overly early, that's 15 years of Roth conversions, right? Some at zero, mm -hmm. some at 10, some at 12, some at 22, some at 24. I mean, we could convert all of their pre-tax money over to Roth over 10 plus mm -hmm. years with an effective rate of probably, you know, 15 to 20% versus 37 plus California, like, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is a huge difference. And so I think advisors that just say Roth, every be, Roth, everything because of where tax rates are going to go. And because you want mm -hmm. tax-free growth are missing out because they're going to have their clients mm -hmm. potentially pay hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in extra taxes, if you compound out that liability. Yeah. And they kind of maybe unintentionally, um, you know, said this, which is that, yeah, like if you, if you, if you contribute everything to traditional, but don't have an, an intentional plan of how you're going to distribute that tax in a tax optimized way by doing Roth conversions and, you know, and also like manipulating that around maybe health, health insurance subsidies, right. And other, you know, tax opportunities. Yeah. If you don't make a plan for what you're going to do in the future to unwind that in a tax efficient way, then, then maybe you just like, you know, blindly just say, oh, well, if I can afford the taxes, I'll pay it. But that kind of the irony here is that if a financial advisor doesn't believe that clients are going to be intentional about those distribution strategies. And like, you kind of ask them, like, isn't that what you're supposed to be? Like, isn't that what you're there for advisor? Like that, that's something that's, I get, that's another thing, right? It might make sense to hire an advisor when you're at that place of saying, Hey, I, I contributed to Roth or sorry, I contributed to traditional pre-tax. I have like, you know, 80% of my net worth now is in pre-tax retirement accounts like that, you know, especially in early retirement, like that's the time to spend a few thousand bucks here or there to hire a financial advisor to help you create a tax optimized plan. Because um, again, like I can't, I, I can't quantify the value of Roth conversions, but at least like, you know, conceptually on paper, like I bet pretty much every client I've worked with in early retirement with Roth conversions, they're going to save over a million dollars in taxes. Again, I can't quantify exactly how much, but just basic conceptualization, like, like that, that decision to contribute to traditional and then make an intentional Roth conversion plan, just that alone implemented correctly like is probably one of the, like the highest tangible quality, uh, uh, you know, reasons to either hire a financial advisor, a financial planner, or to learn how to do it yourself. Definitely. I, um, 
I have a client that I'm working on now and I won't like, I'll just kind of smudge the numbers a bit and some stuff. So it's obviously not recognizable, but basically mid forties, you know, let's call it just under 10 million net worth. Um, about half of that's in investments. They have a lot in cash that needs to be readjusted and they're starting another business. And after this year, they have a high income year again this year, they're going to start this new business. It could be a C corp. And so, you know, for a while, it's just going to be building this business and they're going to be living off of cash but almost it's like 80% is in pre-tax, right? So they have like, you know, a few million dollars in pre-tax in their forties, right? That's compounded out going to be at least 10 million plus, right? So that's mm-hmm. going to be some large RMDs that you don't really want. And for them, they now have the ability to say, well, we build this business, probably going to be a few years before we paid ourselves. You know, we've been in the 37% bracket forever. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So now they even have three years at a minimum where they could convert through 24%. Right. So, so you're actually looking at taking anywhere from 33 to 50% over those three years, optimizing at a lower bracket, significantly lower than what they were paying, and now going to be able to let that compound out. So now we're not going to have RMDs on on a majority of it. We're not going to have this problem where we have too large of RMDs because again, they're going to run this business. They've exited a couple other businesses before. So we're going to have another time to do RMDs or I mean, to do Roth conversions down the line. And this is where planning starts to become really, really impactful, right? Because mm-hmm. you're talking about millions of dollars, like this will be millions of dollars. And the great thing for them is because they have so much cash on the sidelines, they can let the Roth happen mm. and pay the tax out of cash. And so now they even have more that's going to be able to get invested and grow for the future. There's two things that you you said that are really important there. One is, yes, if you're launching a business, I did this when I, when I launched my business, I knew that, hey, like it's always a slow start, right? And, and not just slow in terms of like, you know, not a lot of revenue, but there's a lot of expenses when you, you know, launch your business. Like you, you might be make good money, but most of your money goes toward like launching it and marketing and all those things. So same thing. Like when I, it's funny, I, I contributed uh, tr- tr- traditional at my last job. And I also, by the way, got the employer match. The employer portion was tr- made, you know, made traditional at that point. When I launched my business, I transferred my 401k over to an IRA and converted it all to Roth, right? So yeah, you don't have to wait to do Roth conversions when you're in your like 50s and 60s. You can do it in those years that you just dip. You dip real low for a few years as you're launching something new. So if you're a serial entrepreneur, like you feel like you're just launching a new business like every few years, like take advantage of those low income years, especially by the way, if you're you know, a C-corp, where you can actually control how much income you take on on the personal side. And of course, you know you need a way like whether or not it makes sense to, you know, focus on reducing cost of health insurance versus, you know, uh, if you have kids going through college, like, hey, do you do you kind of like pretend you don't have a lot of money for a few years so your kids get more, you know, grants and scholarships? A lot of people say that manipulating quote unquote that system is immoral, but I I very much have the take that you you know you you work smartly with it with the system that you're 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 in. So kind of like uh, I definitely loans. take full advantage. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So not not going for forgiveness would actually be like an irrational thing, even if you you know, believe you know politically or morally that it's wrong. The yeah. second part is um, I love that you mentioned this. this is so important. You said cash on the sidelines. So not necessarily, you know, that it's about cash, but I think the best investment account that nobody talks about is just the normal taxable brokerage account. And the reason I say that too is that you talk about these years when I did Roth conversions. If you do a Roth conversion before age 59 and a half, you do not want to withhold the taxes from the conversion itself. Because even though the conversion will not be subject to a 10% penalty, early withdrawal penalty, the taxes will if, if withheld from the conversion itself. So you need to make sure that not only that you have enough money set aside for your living expenses, but also have enough money set aside 
in your taxable brokerage savings to cover the tax liabilities on those intentional Roth conversions. So whether you're young or I work with people in their 50s, 60s, um, most most people I work with, they want to have at least a million dollars in taxable brokerage savings when they retire so that they can sustain their lifestyle, control taxable income and do some of those Roth conversions, sometimes up to the, you know, through the 24% tax, uh, you know, 24 marginal tax bracket. Again, like you said, that effective, effective 1015 rate. But if they didn't have that flexibility and liquidity and taxable brokerage account, it would be much, much harder to manipulate and you know control those conversions. So yeah. yes, spot on on cash on the sidelines. <laughs> well, and it's even something to think about because for us as a part of this plan, we're like, okay, we, we should not be 50% cash. Like that's just way too much. Right. And then they were just waiting. They didn't really know what to do. And it's like, but now when we're allocating that cash, we want to make sure that we leave enough on the sidelines to plan for the Roth conversion that's going to be coming throughout next year. Um, but okay, cool. I think best way to kind of wrap up this topic is really think through pros and cons of both. I know that you've thought through these really well. So let's start with, you know, traditional and let's go through pros and cons. So the traditional, the advantages of traditional contributions, those pre-tax contributions is that yes, it reduces taxable, you know, ordinary income in the current year. We've talked a little bit about that. Um, one possible advantage that, by the way, it's out of your control, right? Is that future tax rates may be lower, right? Everybody says tax rates may be higher, like they may be lower. We we don't know. So that's like an advantage that, like, again, that's out of our control. So kind of scratch it off the list, if you will. Advantages that we talked about, you know, there's an advantage of traditional that in retirement or in lower income years, you can do those Roth conversion strategies, you know, with a much lower effective tax rate than the marginal tax rate of con- contribution. Gives you the flexibility for that, right? Roth, you have no right. option to think about anything right. different. Yeah, you can't you know you can't convert you know part of that Roth to more Roth. It's all it's all sitting there. And then uh, another advantage of traditional is that um, if you contribute if you, if you lower your taxable income, you might be able to you know uh, you might be able to gain access to more subsidies in the current year, such as the premium tax credit for health insurance. Especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're like you know if you, if you contribute to traditional, you might be able to keep your income low to get some subsidies. Um, also, if you contribute um, to traditional. If you are working in like, if you're working in your 70s, for example, right? If you contribute to traditional, you might be able to reduce like the taxation of social security. But again, that's that's a very rare thing. Um, also, an advantage of having at least some in traditional is qualified charitable distributions. They're called QCDs, which means if you're if you plan to give to charity in retirement, uh, it's best to give it to charity directly from a traditional IRA. You know, starting at 70 and a half is when you can do that. So uh, I would say if you give to charity, you probably want at least some. And traditional, don't convert everything, right? Always have like some in traditional so you can give to charity tax efficiently. And lastly, let's say that you end up, um, you know, you're going to change, you're going to move to a different uh, state at some point. Let's say that you're working in California, right? And you plan to retire in Texas, right? You know, don't come here, we're full, right? But I would say (laughs) that, you know, a lot of people would love to avoid, you know, not just federal, but state income taxes on their contribution so that they can retire in a tax-free or lower tax, you know, state tax regime. So point. those are the advantage of uh, So we talked about advantages of traditional. Now you can say every advantage has a disadvantage. So the the, the disadvantage of traditional now are that the money you pull out, re, you know, that you distribute in retirement will be included in taxable income. So it's up to you, right, to have intention over how much, you know, what your tax rate is at that point. Future tax rates may be higher, right? We talked about again, right? They may be lower, maybe higher out of our control. Another disadvantage is if your only source of income is from traditional IRAs, you don't have much control over taxable income. So you might, again, you might lose out on those premium tax credits. You might pay the full, you know, 85% of your social security, maybe 
um, you know, included in taxable income. And you might also pay those IRMA, those Medicare surcharges when you're 65 plus. RMDs, that's probably the biggest advantage, disadvantage of traditional. If you don't have an intentional distribution strategy, you get hit with these RMDs. And sometimes your taxable income is out of your control through the end of life. And lastly, um, you know, disadvantage of traditional is that the inheritance is taxable to your heirs, right? So whether it's, uh, again, if you don't, somebody's going to have paid the taxes, whether it's you, your spouse, or, you know, future beneficiaries. So just keep in mind that, um, and, and right now I know the rules change constantly, but right now, if it's a non-spousal um, inheritance, it's typically a 10-year distribution window. Yeah. They have to take all of the money out as, as taxable income. By yeah. the way, most people, when they inherit money, this money from their parents, they're in their highest earning years, which is like just the worst time, which is the worst time to have extra taxable income. And then lastly, uh, the last disadvantage of traditional is that let's say that you're married your whole life. Uh, when you distribute money, let's say that you're a surviving widow or widower, right? You end up being in the single, you end up being a single filer, uh, which again, as you know, is kind of like, you know, the kind of, it's not double taxation, but your your filing status affects your marginal tax rate. So if, if you end up distributing while you're single, sometimes you can get hit with what we call the widow's penalty, which isn't yeah. like a real term, but yeah. And the, the only thing I want to re-hit on is just kind of the RMDs, because I don't think we went a lot of deal earlier in the podcast. And RMD is just really like required minimum distribution. And so in these pre-tax accounts, just so everybody knows, mm. they're at a certain age, now it's like for all of us, it's going to be 75. You are required to take money from this account. So you can't say like, I got plenty of Roth money, I got plenty of taxable money. I'd much rather distribute from there. You are required to take distributions from these pre-tax accounts, and it's kind of based on your life expectancy, yeah. um, pretty much. And I think that's the most simple way to put it. And that can be a disadvantage, right? Because again, if you if you don't have a strategy, you have ten million dollars in pre-tax at seventy-five. It might be like, wow, I'm withdrawing so <laughs> much money from this account that I'm being pushed up into tax brackets and causing mm -hmm. other taxation, like you alluded to before. Yeah, and to add to that, a easy way to think about this is. When you see a traditional 401k on a balance sheet, you think of it as an asset, but the IRS does not see it as an asset. They see it as taxable income that hasn't been received yet. Mm. It's really a it's a it's a bucket of future and it's it's a it's a bucket of future taxable income. That's what a traditional 401k is. So that that's a good example, right? If you see a million dollar traditional IRA and a million dollar Roth IRA, they are worth very different amounts of money. <laughs> uh, exactly. The IRS just sees them as future income. So, um, yeah, so that's one of the advantages, by the way, I guess we'll flip, I'll go through this one a little faster with the traditional, uh, sorry, with the Roth contributions. So advantages of Roth are kind of the opposite is that, um, you know, you get those tax-free earnings. So not only do you get the, you know, the, you, you don't want, you don't pay taxes twice on the money you put in, but you can distribute also the earnings tax-free if it's a qualified distribution. One thing that people don't talk about with Roth is that there's a, you can take, you can withdraw direct contributions to a Roth at any age for any reason without tax or penalty. This is specifically to, you know, Roth IRAs is typically what we're talking about here. If I contribute to a, a Roth IRA, um, I can take that money that I put into the Roth IRA back at any time, any any age, any any reason, no tax or penalty. Even though we don't coach that. Right. But <laughs> that, option... Exactly. I, I would never tell somebody to do that, but that's one of like the, it's, I guess it's an extra source of liquidity. But yeah I, yeah, I would say like that's that's a last resort, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I always let people know that because there's something right. for people to know that like this is not locked up. I have the ability to use it. Like they love to know mm -hmm. that. But I always say like, Lear, let me note this to you. The last place we want to take money from is there because one, those they have annual limits that are pretty small. You never get those back. And two, 
the assets we want to let to continue to compound are always going to be the tax-free ones. Like that's the most right. impactful yeah. place for the money to be. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with you. So yes, liquidity, but that, like, but don't. You know, again, that's a lot. <laughs> that, yeah, but don't, but don't. That's the last resort. Um, the other two big advantages, advantages of Roth are tax-free inheritance. Yes, they might still have like the 10-year inheritance window, but it's still tax-free, right? To the beneficiary. And then lastly, no RMDs. This is huge, right? So um, you can do, by the way, you can, you can contribute to Roth. Sorry, you can contribute to traditional pre-tax, early retirement, early retirement, convert that to Roth. And then in the future, when you're in your 70s, you have no RMDs from those Roth IRAs. So you can avoid those RMDs even by making initially traditional contributions converting. So it's really just spreading out the action of that contribution and distribution. And yep. lastly, the, the disadvantages of Roth, again, yes, like there could be, um, you could have higher, you know, taxable, you could have higher, um, sorry, you could have higher current taxable income. That's what we were talking about is people within the 35, 37% tax bracket, like a disadvantage of Roth is that they're paying 35, 37% on every dollar they're putting in. So not as much money is going in effectively. Um, also their um, disadvantage is that they're reduced. Um, I'm trying to remember what I put here. Um, I guess I'll do the last three here. So disadvantages of Roth also include um, that Roth direct Roth IRA contributions do have income thresholds. I know Thomas talks about with every client he works with about the backdoor and how to avoid pro rata taxation of, you know, getting around that little kind of quote unquote legal loophole. Um, but lastly, um, another disadvantages of retirement, uh, uh, Daria, the last disadvantage of Roth is that your retirement income might actually be too low. And this is a kind of a funny thing. Like I've worked with clients who say, Oh, I wish, I wish everything, I wish all my income in retirement were tax free. I'm like, actually, you want, you actually want forms of taxable income in retirement. You want the deductions and right. you, know, you want to be able to use them. Right. So, for example, uh, you know, uh, a married couple age 65 or older this year in 2023, $30,700 uh, $30, of their taxable income is completely federal tax free. Right. It's like, we want to take advantage of that. Like, that's like free you know, uh, you know, a, a free, effectively like a free Roth conversion, right? <laughs> so um, we actually want tax sources of taxable income, not just in traditional, like, you know, older traditional retirement, but also in early retirement, we actually want sources of taxable income. A good example of this is uh, we actually want to meet at least the bottom of that, um, the federal poverty level, right? So that we can get full subsidies for health, health insurance through the marketplace. So if you don't have any sources of, of income in early retirement, you're actually not going to even be able to receive subsidies. You're going to be effectively choosing, you know, Medicaid, yeah. Medicaid over again. Uh, not a lot of families I work with want to be on Medicaid when they're retired. They they yeah. want one of those. You know, they they want a traditional plan with a you know out of pocket maximum and the ability to cont continue contributing to HSAs possibly. Yeah, and the the other negative. Um, that we kind of allude to in the last one that applies to this is that like you lose the flexibility of optimizing. You you grab the certainty and secure yes. that tax bracket, yes. but you lose the optionality of like, here's a sabbatical I'm taking, a low income year, mm. another good time from Roth conversions. Like if you combine like this client example I was just telling you about, if the market does drop like everybody's predicting, next year the market's down 30% and they have zero income, the amount that they would be able to convert mm. over and instantly get reinvested is actually super impactful. Yeah. And the IRS even specifically has said, once you convert money, like you can't unwind it. You can't do the, you can't, you know, recharacterize yeah. or unwind it. So yeah. I, I, I love, I love that you say that because yeah, traditional provides actually, ironically provides a lot more flexibility in retirement 
than Roth does, even though Roth does, yes, have its highest and best use of you know tax-free long-term growth, which we all yeah. love. We'll, we'll take advantage of it. But again, but keep in mind that the reason that you're investing and saving isn't just to have tax-free money. Like at the end of the day, you want that money to be used to like either spend, give, right? Like you have to keep it. I always say, give every dollar a job and a use by date, right? So every dollar that you contribute to an account, you have to say, when do I expect to use this money, right? And what do I expect to use this money for? And those two answers, you know, to those two questions will actually like help it make it much easier to decide like which account do I contribute it to and, you know, which type, whether traditional or Roth. Totally. The, the last thing I want to hit on is, so when I go through this with high income people, they're like, okay, great. Like I totally get this now. Let's go traditional. And then I'm like, yep, let's do that. And then let's do a backdoor Roth. And they're like, what? You just said, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and like you just, yeah. I just said, Roth doesn't make sense for me. And I think that's why this, this makes a lot of sense to talk about here is when you are in the highest income earning years, and if you don't have way too much and you're not going to work till 75, et cetera, using all of your pre-tax option first makes a lot of sense, especially as W-2 right. person, you know, because there's only so much you can do. So, you know, maybe it's dependent care FSA, you know, maybe it's your HSA, you know, maybe that's maxing your 401k, but pretty much at that point, you're, you're out of them. There, there's right. no more use cases for you of here's ways to reduce my taxable income. So mm -hmm. money's came to you, it's in your bank account, it's post-tax, right? So now you have the option of taxable, which great, there's a lot of flexibility in it. We love it, you mm -hmm. know, capital gains, really great. But you would still choose tax-free over taxable, right? And so after those, we go to the backdoor Roth most often, and then what's left over, you go back to your taxable account. But this confuses people so much when you teach them all about traditional at highest income earning years, why you go Roth, but tax-free growth is really great. It just might be coming second to tax deferred because of the highest brackets they're in. Yeah, that is spot on. I, I, I For every client I create what I call, you know, retirement savings, it's called a contribution order of operations. So like, what is the order that we're going to contribute to accounts? And just like you said, it's always you know, the HSAs, FSAs first, because that's not just a uh, it doesn't just avoid like federal and state tax, but also avoids employment tax, which for high earners will just be saving like 1.45% because they're above that social security wage base. But so once they contribute to HSAs, FSAs, then it's maxing out all traditional pre-tax buckets. So traditional 401k. But, you know, as you've noted, like, you know, you anybody can contribute you know, with the earned income. You can contribute to a traditional IRA if you're a high earner, but you're probably not gonna be able to deduct that contribution, which was kind of the whole point. Of choosing traditional at that point do so, the back door because you already just right. did the same thing just convert it right so hsa fsa max out all the traditional options that you know the, the deductible traditional options right and then jump to roth options which for you would the only two really remaining would be the the backdoor roth which would be using ira a roth ira and then the mega backdoor roth which may be in your 401k depending on your plan you know plan dependent and then once you've done that then your next order of operations you've got one great account left to, that has no income thresholds, that has no limits, which is your taxable brokerage account. So that's the basic, like I would say 90% of the clients I work with who are still working, it's HSA, FSA, traditional, then Roth, then then taxable brokerage. And then again, most people, especially if you're making a million bucks a year, as long as you're not spending a million bucks a year, uh, you're going you're gonna to create so much future flexibility for yourself if you just make an intentional plan and order operations for yourself. Yeah.
Exactly. Okay. Awesome, man. This was super great. Um, any last closing thoughts that you want to add in? Um, yeah, I think that's it. Again, just keep in mind when somebody tells you, uh, when you're, when you get really excited about the power of Roth, <laughs> say yes, Roth is great, but maybe I can get Roth later, not today. <laughs> so yeah. just be, just point. by, by choosing traditional, you're not saying no to Roth. You're just saying no to Roth right now. So just yeah. again, take one year at a time and make those decisions intentionally and, as they come. And I'll say for me, like I'll be honest at what I do. So I am only, I turn, I'm 27, right? Yeah, I turned 28 this this month, right? Mm -hmm. And I am in a high income earning bracket right now. I'm I'm single, I'm getting married. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that might bring me down to a little bit lower of a bracket. Like maybe I'll be in 32 next year. It's gonna be close, right? Get like, get, get get married by December 31st. Thomas, yeah, we're actually <laughs> we probably are. I'm honestly like we yeah. get married early next year. So we're considering doing it because I did the math and I'll save $18,000 in tax because of where <laughs> I ours love is. It. That's so why like, we get married, right, Thomas? I'm yes. like, well, if we're already going to do it, why wouldn't we just do it a little bit early and save that much on taxes? But either way, I'm still <laughs> like, I'm going to do Roth right now just because mm -hmm. of the fact that I know I like my income's going one and a half to almost double per year that right. I'm going to be in traditional for so long that I'm like, right. well, hey, if for two years plus all the Roth, IRA, if I can get to like 100K by 30 in Roth and then everything right. traditional for a just long time. Just let that grow. That just let it be, go. Yeah, that'll be really impactful for me, but I'm knowing that I'm not going to go all Roth for a long time. I just have a short period of time and I might be in 24, I might touch 32 and that's okay because I'm going to be in the highest brackets for a really long period of time. And I have mm -hmm. no problem admitting that, but that's where like, you know, if you finally hit high brackets in your forties, you know, maybe you'd go traditional earlier than me. Mm -hmm. It really depends on your situation. Yeah. And last thing to add there is that, especially just with the entrepreneurs, like I, yeah, I work with a lot of people who, you know, they own businesses. They're making like great money. They talk about like this idea of retirement someday, but in reality, a lot of entrepreneurs retiring, just means like selling this business or deli, like kind of getting, you know, kind of getting, you know, going away from a business to create something new. So yeah. if you're that type of person who just finds yourself just constantly creating, like, you know, you and I, Thomas are this way, like you're always going to be an entrepreneur. So you might yeah. as well, like you're almost hedging you're, you're almost like contributing to Roth to hedge the possibility that you might be an entrepreneur for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't see myself ever really not working. Like I, I like having something to work on and build towards. I, if anything, I see myself more of like when I have young kids, like slowing growth to have more time there and then pick and then work even more later on than like the, you know, that's why I'm grinding so much now, building the business so fast, right. having as many clients as we can. And so I, that's more so the optionality that I would want to say, we're only going to take on five clients this year or 10 clients mm -hmm. instead of the 40 or whatever we're doing right now. Like, you yeah. know, that, that's how well, I want to plan. And Thomas, I, I'm, I'm literally just maybe like a few years ahead of you, not in terms of like knowledge or expertise or anything, but in terms of just like seasons, right? Like, you know, you're, you're about to get married and you're thinking about, okay, I'm going to grind now so that I don't have to grind later, or I have option, optionality in how much I grind, right? Um, whereas I'm the opposite. I just, I've actually run down where in terms of my calendar, I'm, I'm only, I'm limiting myself to no more than two hours of meetings per day. You know, I start that. the that day. Great. You know, I have, I have a six hour work day and I'm also, um, I'm creating my business going into 2024 where I actually don't have to work more than five to 10 hours a week to sustain all my businesses, right? So you know, again, like I did the grinding so that now like my wife and I are actually in the process of adoption, right? Awesome, and, dude. Congrats. Yeah, super excited. But, but guess what? When that baby comes through the door, like I want the optionality to say, hey, like I'm not going to accept, like I will not accept meetings for like a whole three months of my calendar. 
but it won't affect my revenue because I did the grinding up front to make sure that I had a plan. So just another reason, by the way, if you're an entrepreneur, like, like, yes, like you have a lot of concentration in your business, but also consider how do you diversify your income sources, even within that one business? Or like, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I kind of have, you know, I have one brand, but three businesses. Like mm -hmm. I love that I can kind of say, Hey, like, I'm going to turn that business down a little bit and I'm going to turn this one up. Like just switching between businesses and diversifying, like you've done with your awesome course, Thomas, with Trayton and, and Rachel, yeah. like, that's awesome. Like just, yeah, just think of ways you can diversify. It's not just about diver like making more money, but diverse di diversification also provides more optionality and control of your calendar. When you do have those big life events, like getting married, going on a honeymoon, having kids adopting. Right. So mm -hmm. just give yourself options. Like your future self will thank you for grinding it out today, Thomas, for sure. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, Cody, man, thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Um, for the few people here, I guess, that don't know you or where to follow you, where are the best sure. places to kind of engage with what you're doing? Yeah. So, um, you know, Twitter measure twice, M N Y. Um, if you're a financial advisor, go to measure twice planners.com. If you're not an advisor, uh, go to measure twice money.com. And I'm actually not taking on any future clients for financial planning, uh, any new clients. So I won't even mention that my firm name because it's <laughs> kind of useless at this point. I wonder what your firm name is. Hard to yeah, figure. It's, <laughs> it's, it's measure twice something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but all right, man. Well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate the time. And everybody, thank you for listening. Just quick shout out. So I launched a YouTube channel about a week ago. We're a little over 100 subscribers. Um, it's just at T Copelman. So head on over and we have a bunch of good content coming out for you. Um, but we'll see you guys back next week. Cool.